0: what is up everything medicare podcast nation this is christian brindle this is episode 82 where every single week i bring you a podcast where i discuss your medicare your medicaid your social security and every single little aspect of your retirement and this is really really exciting we just cracked over ten thousand downloads so thank you so much to everybody that's listening for that um and thank you to everybody that's listened to us from the beginning when we started about a year and a half back Today, we have a really, really um, exciting interview. I'm really looking forward to it. It's somebody that I've followed for a long time. I've learned a lot about the topic of final expense and burial insurance um, from 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 this, this man. And um, I have David Duford on the line with me. Um, real quick intro about Dave, and then I'll bring him in, and um, I'll let you hear from him directly. Uh, Dave is a final expense expert. Uh, he started in business in 2011. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Dave. Um, you got it. Yep. Great, great. I'm glad. I'm glad my research paid off. <laughs> um, Dave is a very prominent final expense YouTube channel, which has worked with a lot of different agents and helped a lot of different agents all over the country. And that plays a big role in helping out the beneficiaries because a, a better trained and a better... Um, equipped agent is going to make for um, a customer and a beneficiary and a client being better taken care of. So, Dave, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, the pleasure's all mine, uh, Dave. I wanted to start out by um, by by asking you a little bit about your story and how you got into the insurance industry.
1: Out of complete and utter desperation, Christian. Uh, I had a final, uh, well, I had a personal training business that I started out of college in about 2006. I did okay for a young guy, but like a lot of, probably some of your listeners, um, you know, I had my business during the Great Recession back in 2007, 8, and 9. Sure. And it took a while, but I really felt the impact of the business falling apart about 2010, 2011. And, uh, kind of fooled around for a year and a half and then finally decided I got to get a job. I got to do something else because this thing's just not getting back to where it used to be. So like I said, I got desperate and I started looking for a job selling insurance. <laughs> and lo and behold, I got lucky and came across some good resources on the internet about final expense. I like the operation, the idea because it's a, a quick, uh, easy to understand product where a lot of people need help that aren't adequately getting it. And I just jumped in, did a part-time for a while, uh, went full-time, failed out of the business after a year, came back on part-time, then went full-time at that point, eventually got into recruiting and training agents nationally, which is what you referenced earlier with the YouTube channel.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, it's, it's a funny thing about... It's a funny thing about the insurance industry, it's definitely not a sexy industry, it's definitely not something that anybody thinks, you know, when I grow up I want to be an insurance agent, but a lot of us fall into it and a lot of us end up loving it, so I can I can relate a lot to your story there.
1: It's too bad because this business provides not just a great opportunity for people to, to make a good living and an honest living to helping real people, but... There's a great income opportunity too and that's and, and kinda like you said, it has that perception by the public like, oh, it's like selling used cars, but it's not. It's uh we do good work if you're a good agent and you care about the people that you work with.
0: Most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, you know, I've I've always been a big believer that, you know, um you hear people like Cody Askins talk about, you know, ninety two percent of agents fail in the business. I I believe that the good agents end up sticking around and the and the agents that may necessarily aren't so good they always get ended up weeded out at the end of the day. Um, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, if, you, if, if, if your heart's in the right place and you're doing the right thing, um, you can help a lot of people and earn a great living at the same time in this business. Right, definitely. So Dave, um, so my audience is primarily Medicare beneficiaries. There's some agents that listen um, that, I, that I'm aware of that sure. have reached out to me. Um, so I, I, with this topic of final expense, I think the average person on Medicare would be curious, why does final expense matter for a person on Medicare? How do those two um, tie together?
1: Well, it all comes down to pre- preparation for the end. Um, as uh, Benjamin Franklin said, You know, there's only two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. And um, we know that there are going to be costs associated with getting out. You know, nobody gets out alive without some kind of cost. Right. So the reason why there's a, a, and your audience is probably can't stop, but to hear, uh, can't help but to hear ads on TV, probably on the radio, certainly getting junk mail constantly about all sorts of life insurance products for burial or cremation, final expenses. And the reason that it's out there to that extent is because there are just so many people who are woefully unprepared. This is one of those things that people just put off to the very end. And nobody likes to think about it. Nobody wants to think about it. But the truth is, is that if you've lost a loved one, if you understand the cost associated with burial, even cremation, it's substantially higher and more involved than you think. There's this definite, uh, resolute need for some Americans, for some med- Medicare beneficiaries to have a policy to cover that portion of their of their final arrangements
0: well it makes sense it makes sense I mean uh, in the, about a week ago I actually t- I had a conversation with someone I think you know um, Nick Nick frumpkin and Matt Murray right. who, uh, who do the insurance panel and you know they Nick Nick was talking about um, you know how most people you know in this country they, they, they think that their children will be able to take care of their final expenses but there's not too many people that can just shell out 10-15 grand just like that and not have to hurt no. them um, and you know I think it's something that nobody wants to think about but everybody needs to think about at least long enough to make preparation so I, I, I think you're on point there um, let, let me shift gears to this Dave is, is final expense something that you think everyone should consider picking up or just certain people what is your viewpoint on that
1: Yeah, great question. I think the person who buys a final expense policy really is somebody who financially would have very much have have a lot of difficulty paying out of pocket for for any sort of final expense, and not not just burial or the cremation, but any sort of related final expenses, and you know, uh, paying off credit cards, uh, paying off mortgages, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I think insurance serves the best purpose by covering those types of expenses where people just don't have the cash reserves in order to do it. So I think that somebody who's in a position of, let's say they're on Medicare, uh, they receive a small pension a month from Social Security, they very have very little left over at the end of the month, uh, and they don't have retirement, uh, any sort of 401k, IRA money put aside, those tend to be the, the people in most need for what it is that we sell. Not that if you have any of that, that you d- shouldn't consider it. There are definite reasons to have it. Um, but for sure, there are those people who have nothing. They need something like this. Those are the people, and Nick would probably agree with me too, we wanna talk to, uh, we wanna help. Because when they pass away, just like you said, man, people always, every person has financial problems. Uh, your kids are going to have money problems, and death doesn't occur on your schedule. It's probably going to happen at the worst time when you pass away, and uh, they don't have the money on hand, and it causes all sorts of problems relationally with brothers and sisters fighting over who pays what. And I can go on about this, but you get the point. There's a group of people that if if you die and there's no money, this is where this product becomes very relevant.
0: Well, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, you know, it's. I think. It, I think it's a great point that you know. You're if 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 you're at a point where you don't have any money, there's a good chance that your kids are gonna probably struggle at some point, and you know, even if they do better than you, um, financially speaking, a funeral is a big expense for probably ninety percent of the population. You know, it, it would it would probably leave its mark there so I think it's a great point um let, let, let me well
1: I, let me and let me insert here Chris sure, just sure. to get it get another perspective I think it's important <laughs> to also consider the what obligation your kids should have for something like this as well I I, I personally sold my mother a, a burial insurance plan because my mom is a retired nurse I love her but I don't want to be stuck paying her bills. And and I'll be frank with you. My mom's not the best with money Sure. and I don't want to be in a position where she suddenly dies as most people do unexpectedly. And now I, it's on me and my brother in order to pay this bill. I do well in life right now. My brother does. not I mean, he does well. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a waiter, but he's not pulling in the big money. And I would see it as being, the right thing to do to split it in half because we're the only two kids she has, but it would be likely that my brother I would imagine doesn't have that kind of money sitting around um, and so it would all fall on me. And so I, I say this because what people need to understand is what kind of impact permanently will a money problem like this cause your surviving loved ones? Do you want to be the reason why a brother, your, your children fight with each other. Because as you know, money causes a lot of problems and a lack as it does. It, it should, you should think it's your obligation to pay for your own funeral, not your children. If you care about their relationship, how they deal with each other, and to minimize any kind of hurt feelings. There's gonna be plenty of emotion, there's gonna be plenty of problems, um, and dealing with, and grieving your loss. Don't put more on it. Again, this is why ownership of life insurance is so important, especially if you have no money. So you can relieve that burden, that unfair burden that you would give them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that makes – I think it's a great point that you make, Dave. You know, when, when when a family member or a loved one passes unexpectedly, there's so much going on, and I don't think people stop to realize that or maybe even, you know, um, expect all of the emotions that they're going to be feeling. I'm sure the last thing that anybody needs on top of all that is a money problem or a money crisis. It, right. I, I think right. you make a great point. Um, let me let me let me jump topics over to this, Dave. Um, now, this is something that I'm fascinated to hear your answer on because I think it's something that you know is the age old question. Why would someone want to pick up a final expense plan over, say, something like a term life insurance plan? What what do you feel personally are the advantages that final expense comes with that something like a term life insurance plan does not?
1: Do you know when you're going to die, Christian?
0: No. No one does.
1: No one does. And that's exactly why a final expense plan is better. If you're looking to cover a funeral, then some sort of term insurance. I'm sure,
0: right. again,
1: your listeners have received all sorts of junk mail from big brand name companies. And if they read closely, they'll see a lot of them, again, reputable companies that exist out there that if I name dropped, everybody would know. That if you read their documentation in their sales literature, it'll say term life insurance. Term life is short for terminating and many of these plans terminate at age 80. With people living well beyond 80, the average age for women now I think is at or slightly over 80 for men, it's a little younger, but that's average, that means half go over, half are under. The question you gotta ask yourself is, why would you take a gamble like that with a product that's gonna go away? You know for a fact it's gonna go away. There's a pretty good shot if, if, if you're not in the worst of shape that you're gonna outlive this coverage and all that money you paid in, there's nothing there. And so that's why I think final expense is important because it gives peace of mind. When I say peace of mind, it provides coverage that never can be canceled as long as you pay the premium, no matter if your health changes and no matter if your age, you get older. So that kind of permanence is important because death is a permanent problem. (laughs) Nobody outlives death. Right. And so you have to have a product that matches the nature of, of the problem. So term insurance does It's better than nothing if for some reason you couldn't get anything else. At least you got something. But comparing what the, the nature of the problem is, I just think it's, it's much better to get something that will provide permanent protection for a permanent problem.
0: Well, it, make, it makes total sense. It makes total sense because, you know, like you said, people are living longer and longer all the time, and that term policy has an expiration date, and statistically speaking, you'll probably outlive that term policy, so it makes total sense to me. Um, Dave, let's talk about agents for a second. Talk about why an agent is important for someone who's picking up a plan not just for maybe a final expense plan, but but any type of insurance plan. What 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 value do you think an agent can bring to someone's life? How can they simplify the, the, the picking process for somebody?
1: So I will preface this with picking the right agent is important, and which leads to the conversation of the difference between a captive and an independent agent. An agent's job is to help you be Help you find the plan that best fits your goals. You, you, the best way to think about an agent is almost like a consultative type of person. The best agents look at themselves as as uh, helpers to their clients. They want to certainly sell a policy. They're salespeople. However, the best ones understand that they want to get the best product for their clients, the best insurance, because those make happy customers. Those stay on longer, they refer. And so what you want to make sure as, as a, as a consumer is my recommendation is to make sure that you deal with brokers. Now a broker is somebody who represents multiple insurance products. Now why does that matter? Well, if you represent multiple products, The insurance agent has the option to shop those products to see who provides the best combination of coverage and value, whereas a captive agent, like I mentioned earlier, only has access to one company. They can only sell one product with one set of underwriting rules, one set of pricing. Now, what does that make you think? If you only sell one thing to make a living on, well, they have to push that one product. It might be good for you, but it may not be the best. And it's likely that many people who work with a captive agent will only get will will be lacking in either quality of coverage or the cost of the coverage that they maybe they could get a better value elsewhere. So I advise and recommend consumers to always make sure to ask their agent, who do you work for and how many different companies do you represent and which ones are they? If it sounds like if they say independent or I'm broker, I can work with different companies, that's a good sign. If they only mention one company, get a second opinion, just to make sure whatever they offer you is, is really, truly the best for you.
0: I couldn't agree more with you. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm I'm a big advocate of working with a broker. I've always said that, um, and I've said multiple times on this podcast, that when you're working with a captive agent, you, they not on, not only will you not know about the competition's product that could be tremendously better? But even if the captive agent was aware of the other person's product, they're not going to tell you about it because it's their job to sell that company's product. Um, I I, I think you hit it right on the head there. Um, I think that's a a, a situation a lot of people find themselves in and they could do better and they never know it. Right. Um, Let me piggyback off that last question, Dave. When someone's picking an agent... Other th- outside of you know, making sure you're working with a broker, obviously not all brokers are, are created equal or, or, you know, or would be on equal playing fields in as far as how they service a consumer. How can you tell a good one from a bad one?
1: I think the best brokers are the ones that ask good questions. They don't rush through the presentation process. And their presentation itself is focused on education, not selling you on something. So let me give you the perfect example. So the way I teach my agents to quote unquote sell burial insurance is that we literally show our competition sales material. And we go through a presentation where we describe the difference between term insurance, like we mentioned earlier, and the whole life insurance and what's called guaranteed acceptance insurance. And what better way to describe and educate the consumer than to show them what the competition does and literally show them in the fine print what each of those does or what each of those products do. That way the consumer understands that we're not making the stuff up. They actually see what companies they see all the time in junk mail actually do. And, and what I find is, is our prospects appreciate it, that we've taken the time to not just rush through a sale and shove a price in their face and ask them a million times to buy it. But we've taken time to show them, hey look, here's what you gotta be aware of if you go with a term insurance plan or a guaranteed acceptance plan. And here's how ours compares. And we let them make their own minds up. But we give them the resources in order to do that and that empowers the end user, the consumer. So I wanna find a broker that that looks and thinks in that manner. Because the truth is, I'm sold on that person. If they treat me that way, you know, they treat me like a person, and they care about my feelings and, and what I'm buying, and they take the time to do that. So find people who are focused on educating you and the, on the facts and the differences, not on selling you to try to guilt trip you into buying something. That's when you're going to run into problems.
0: Right. I like that. I think that's a. I think that's a really, really insightful way to look at it. And I think. I think if everybody takes that approach, they're gonna they're gonna make sure that they end up with the right person. Um, let me let me shift gears to this, Dave. What is the biggest mistake that you see people make when they're picking out a final expense plan that that maybe they could easily avoid? Is there anything in particular that just makes you pull your hair out?
1: That's a good question. You know, I really think even though I have I've told you about you know talk about captive agents and Mm -hmm. you know, how insurance is sold the right way. I really think that if you fall into the description of you need insurance and you know it, some type of life insurance is better than none. I think what what we find a lot of in this environment is that people procrastinate on buying life insurance. They don't want to deal with it. They want to put it off. And the problem is death doesn't wait. And if you put it off and you die, well, that problem just doesn't die with you. It stays around. So I would almost suggest that even if you don't have all the information and the best person to work with that perfectly fits everything you want, please buy something, get some kind of coverage. It's better than nothing. And so for me, that's the big thing. Um, If anything frustrates me, it's that a lot of these big companies that are brand name companies that promote on TV and through the mail, they hide the fine print from the consumer. They don't, are they aren't totally forthright with, in many cases, people are shocked to find they've got two years of paying into their policy before they're fully covered. Or they find out that their great plan that's super cheap actually cancels at 80 years old and they didn't know all this but the companies know how to hide this they're not they're not doing anything fraudulent but they know how to make it and put the fine print in such a position where you're least likely to find it and um, people just end up being really mad when they have policies that don't they don't they really didn't want to begin with I had one lady she was in her 70s and she had a she had a policy that was a 10-year term and she was told at what she thought it was whole life insurance it lasted forever when i informed her that she had another seven years for a cancel she started crying on me
0: oh my god you know gosh. because
1: she took this stuff yeah she took this stuff really seriously like we all should but she trusted somebody that didn't do the best job for her, that didn't really care to listen but having said that I'm glad she had it at the 10-year term. We ended up getting her the policy she really wanted. She still has it after four or five years now. But the moral of the story is is that, you know, um, something's better than nothing. Don't delay on getting coverage. But when you find something that's a better deal and it makes sense to you and nothing seems fishy, you find, you know, be, feel, feel, feel like you should make an upgrade to your policy. That's completely fine, too.
0: Well, I think that's a really, really good message, and it's, it's similar to something that we see sometimes on the Medicare side. We might not see it quite as often, but you know, when I run into somebody working on the Medicare side of things that they, they just have A and B, and that's all that they have, it, 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 I, I can't believe oh, wow. it. I can't believe it, because, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and you see it a lot more than you'd think, too. It's, it's, it's insane, you know. They don't realize they're getting a, a penalty for not having a Part D plan. They don't realize that right. one big hospital bill it's gonna. It could probably cost a pretty penny at that point, but um, yeah. So I I can identify a lot with 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 that perspective that having something is always going to be better than having nothing. Right. Right. Absolutely. So Dave, let me ask you this: when someone is making the decision of picking out a final expense planner, let's say they have a situation where they have multiple products presented in front of them, and they have to make a decision. Is there anything in particular you feel that they should look for in a plan that maybe not every other type of plan would have, or what what should they value mm-hmm. in what the plan looks like?
1: Right. Good question. So the nice thing about final expense policies is that they're homogenous, and what I mean by that is that they they really don't have, like, a bunch of moving parts. One type of policy typically will be very similar to another type of policy. With that said, they're not all created equal. And so what I'd like to do here is just kind of describe the main points of concern you should be looking at. So let's say you're working with a final expense whole life plan. What you can be guaranteed to have with that plan is first of all, coverage that doesn't cancel due to age or health. So we got that checked off permanent coverage like we talked about earlier. And as well, we also have a guaranteed price that will never increase. So unlike term insurance that sometimes goes up every five years like many of these junk mail companies do, you know what exactly you're gonna pay. That's nice, you can check that off. Really, the only thing that you need to be concerned with beyond that is whether or not you can qualify or are qualifying for first day natural death coverage. This is the difference between what we call uh, preferred or level final expense coverage or guaranteed acceptance coverage. Again, your your listeners have probably heard companies talk about guaranteed acceptance coverage on TV and in the mail, and the fine print reads that there's no full coverage for two, until two years or up into the policy or two years of payments. And the thing is, is that a lot of people can qualify for first day full coverage but because the company sells one product that doesn't ask health questions, everybody gets stuck on a two year wait. So if you're looking at a policy, please make sure you ask the agent or you look through the application or if you've applied and gotten a policy, review the policy and look for any verbiage that says modified plan, guaranteed acceptance plan or if you look through some of the coverage, if it says zero or 110% for the first two years, those are signs that you don't have full death benefit, first day full coverage. The only other concern beyond that that I would give is that make sure that uh, companies to me don't matter too much. Um, if you feel comfortable with a brand name company like any of the ones that you've heard of on TV, uh, that's fine as long as they provide you the best option. Uh, but To me, there's just, it doesn't matter that much. Most of the companies out there are well-regulated, they're well-rated, they'll do the job. Um, It's just a function of finding the one that you're gonna best qualify for from a health standpoint that's also a good price that hopefully, it's not guaranteed, but hopefully will give you first day full coverage.
0: Well, I think that's great. I think that's really important because I'm sure you see it all the time, Dave. You know, people pick up these plans they see them on TV, no health questions, and either either right. it wasn't explained right to them or, you know, maybe they didn't listen fully, they didn't have their attention, their attention was elsewhere, and they don't right. even realize that, you know, first two years, something happens to you, you're really not going to get the benefit that you, you think you're going to get, you know? So I think more right. people would be willing to, you know, go through a few health questions if they knew that.
1: And the health questions, by the way, for your audience, are never really that that stringent. There's no exams with final expense policies. Uh, typically, you do a phone interview, you talk to an underwriter, get an instant yes or no decision. Sometimes you don't even have to do that, you just send the application in and it gets approved immediately or within the next day or two. And the health questions only go back a couple of years. I mean, there's people who, who have had cancer, heart problems, even even uh, diabetes, that still get preferred first aid coverage as long as they're working with a broker who can shop it. So at least that's what people tell me. They're kind of surprised. You know, they kind of counted themselves out as not having options because of their health history. But because of the situation unique to them, they're able, we had options for them. So it's not, again, not guaranteed. Some people won't qualify for first-day full coverage, but many more people do than than would otherwise think.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I I remember working with a, a gentleman about a year ago, actually, and he had he, he was six years cancer free, probably healthier than I am at this point, and um, not saying not saying I am unhealthy, but he's just he's a, he's an animal, and um, he got declined for a term life plan about maybe six months before that, and we're, actually I think they were going to rate him up because of his cancer history, but it was six years ago he was in remission and doing great. Final expense plan not an issue. He didn't even realize that that was an option for right. him. So I think that's a great great point. Um, Dave, let me, let me shift gears to our last question I got for you here. And I know this is a little bit of a tricky question and I, uh, and I, and I, I understand this answer is going to, it's going to vary based on the person's situation. But if you had to say, what would the perfect amount of coverage be for someone? If you had to say just as, as a whole, what would be the perfect amount of coverage Mm -hmm. for someone to pick up for a final expense plan? If you had to say, I know it varies. Mm -hmm.
1: I'll, I'll segment it down in a couple categories. If you want to be cremated, I think that a $5,000 policy is a good number. It, it's probably a little more than what you'll find to do a cremation, but I would say it's good for a lot of people to just adjust for inflation. Um, prices are gonna go up for everything, including burial and funeral expenses, so factor that in when you buy. And now with with final expenses for burial, uh, 12,000, I think, is a good number now. Uh, again, most parts of the country, you can do a burial full uh, final expenses for 10, maybe a little less than that, 10,000 bucks. Um, but I would factor in a little bit more just to account for the expectation of prices going up. It's one of those two, depending on really what your goals are is what I would go with.
0: Well, I like that answer. Um, real quick, Dave, while we wrap up here, How can people get in touch with you if they're listening and they'd want to maybe work with you on their plan? Um, What states do you work in? And if there's any agents listening that might want to work with you on their final final expense contracts, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, thank you, Christian. Two ways. So if you are a a person interested in final expense coverage, either on yourself or somebody else, and you want to spend a quick five minutes on the phone with me uh, to find out uh, what your options are, uh, go to buylifeinsuranceforburial.com or you can call 888-626-0439. That's 888 and speak to myself or one of my staff. If you're an agent and you're interested in the final expense market, you'd like to sell some of these products I've talked about and help people uh, in your area with burial insurance, then go to davidduford.com. That's my uh, agency uh, website. And just uh, browse around, check out what I do, what I have to offer, uh, and then click the contact box and just send me a message if you'd like to learn more about things, and then I'll send you some material to review.
0: Perfect. Well, Dave, thank you again so much for coming on. I, um, I think my audience is going to get a tremendous amount of value and benefit from all the wisdom you brought, and so thank you so much. Sure. You got it, Christian. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, every Monday and Saturday, we bring you a podcast about Medicare or anything that has to do with the world of Medicare. If you enjoyed this episode on whichever platform you're listening on, please give us a five star review and then also send me an email on what you'd like to talk about on future episodes at christianb.xmission.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B at X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N.com, christianb.xmission.com ChristianB and I'll talk with you soon. Thanks for listening.